One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Red Men Weekly podcast, the show where we bring you the best clips from our Red Men Plus content each and every week. As you guys are amazing podcast listeners, just to let you know, if you want the entire shows that these clips come from, if you sign up at redmenplus.com, head over there and use the code WEEKLY, W-E-E-K-L-Y. If you use that when signing up for a yearly Club Captain subscription, you will get it for 50% off. So it usually costs you 50 quid for the entire year. If you sign up and use that code WEEKLY, you'll get it for 25 quid. Absolute bargain. Given a for too cheap to be honest but we want to give you guys a favor we want to show you and share with you all the amazing content we do so yeah do go over and head sorry go over and check that out using that code as well right then the first show this week comes is the biased football podcast i had the pleasure of hosting that one alongside chris page dan club and chloe bloxham and yet we had a good old chat not liverpool for once because, yeah, we get a little bit bored sometimes doing Liverpool. Don't say bored, a bit repetitive. It's nice to have a little look at other things that are going on in and around the world of footy. So, yeah, go and check out a clip from this week's Biased Football Podcast. The Hodges back. I'll the start Hodge. with you, Chloe. Age 75, Crystal Palace. Hired Rudge Hodgson until the end of the season. Again, another short-term deal. But unlike Tottenham, we went for the assistant. Palace have gone, break glass. We're going to get Hodgson back. Um, I get it. To an extent of a man who knows the team, knows the club, etc., etc., he did get Watford. He, he did this with Watford. This exact, this is exactly what Watford did, Chloe, and he went down. It, it feels like I don't know, Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace sleepwalking to relegation here. And I, I do not understand what has gone on there for them to. to well, bring it's a fella, do you know, who knows the players. That's the only thing you can think of. From his perspective, you've retired. Go and enjoy your life. Why? His why would you want to come back and have the stress of trying to I keep a football that. club up again? His missus probably fed up of him. Imagine being around him all the time. Mm. No, yeah, I get that. But like, you've got enough money to just. Go somewhere else then. Have a nice languages. little holiday for several months. I don't understand from his perspective at the age of 75 why you'd want that much stress in your life. Are you not... He's a fucking just, addict. We all know it. You, you're literally shortening your life by going back there and having to deal with the stress of keeping a football club up. Maybe I that's what he wants. Yeah, yeah, like. By the way, could I just say... You think he gives a toss? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> he was like at Watford. He did not give a fuck. <laughs> like, no. He was just, he was just yeah. there for a good time, not a long um, time. To be fair, if they go down, I, I usually don't mind Crystal Palace, but I'd be quite happy because if you're re-signing Roy Hodgson uh, in this situation, Patrick Vieira, I believe, should have stayed. I feel like he should have had seven, a little bit longer in the job. I understand why they did it so quickly because 10 game. games. Mm. Um, but to bring him back honest to God if that is the level of managers we have in this league to just go and instantly pick him back well, oh. that, that, that's the point for me we just spoke about Tottenham having to appoint their assistant and not well they have got people to choose from but none of them probably wanted the gig I think for me if Palace are looking at that pool of managers that we discussed earlier and saying Top go back to Roy. That's the biggest issue. Seventy-five-year-old fellow who's really well retired, like eighteen months ago from from for Crystal Palace, and he's the one you've gone with. And not only that, like it doesn't even make sense for what the problem is. Their problem is hitting the target and scoring goals, and they've appointed defensive 
master Roy Hodgson. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. He's not a master. Well, no, but like, that's, what he's, that's his MO. That's yeah. his modus operandi, he's sorting defences out, isn't it? Like, it's like a point in Sam Allardyce in the same boat. Like, they're actually half okay at the back. It's not too bad. I mean, the defensive record's fine. It's, it's, it's scoring it's, goals, yeah. and they've appointed Roy Hodgson. It's like, you'd almost go to Bielsa was in the mix, for instance. You'd almost go to Bielsa and say, do you know what, Marcelo? I know you want to work with the under-21s, but ignore the, <laughs> ignore the defence, that sound. Just work with these lads. And then if you get these lads doing okay, because like Elise, Eze, Zaha, they've got some ability there. Yeah. You get them scoring, we'll be sound just till the end of the season. But instead, they've gone with Hodgson, who's got to come in, look at an already sound back four and go, hmm, what can I do with that? It's nuts to me. Like um, like you say, Chloe, 75 years old. What does it say about your football club? If I was a Palace fan, I'd be looking at that going, is that really the best we can do? Like, yeah. genuinely. It's, it's a break glass option, isn't it, Chris? But as break glass options go, I know what they've had that. They've done the Allardyce thing as well, but he actually did all right. He did that for them. It just feels like I get the idea of bringing someone in who knows the players, knows the club, because they've got 10 games left or whatever it is, and you've got no time for like an adaptation period of figuring out he's, he's good, he's crap, he's mm. not. You don't really get that. The, the, the relegation battle's mad. They're 12, but they're only three points above relegation. That's how tight it is down there. The flip side is Wofford did this, and he was fucking useless. And he was useless. And Palace fans, by the time he went, they all loved Royal Turn for like what he'd done. But by the end, I think they was all fed up of him. I'm it, fed up of him. And yeah. I have yeah, not yeah. seen just, him as much as they have. It, I'm, I'm with Dan. It goes back It goes back to what, what's the plan? You should always, I, I always think if you're a footy team with a manager, you should always have the next one earmarked. Yeah. If, if, if this goes wrong, we want him. They've panicked, got rid of and then looked around and gone, no, then it's fucking royalty. And then is it we're going back mm-hmm. to that? Well, is it? It does smack of a little bit of desperation from them. Yeah, I don't understand how they've got themselves into this situation. To be honest, because I know that I know that it's tight down there and all that type of stuff, but it's so so short term. It's ridiculous, yeah. and it's not even a good short term plan. <laughs> like, I mean, what happens next season if he does keep them up? You keep him because you're going down then probably anyway. Mm. Like, I, I just it it just baffles me. Like, it was. When did he win the Swedish league? Fucking 78 oh or something. I mean, when was World War II? Uh, it's so <laughs> long ago. But like, he's just fucking shit. He's not been good. He's never yeah. been an elite manager. You've sacked someone who's got an upside that didn't work very well. But really, I know, I know the points are close. Crystal Palace at 12th. Are they below expectations at the moment they are they are the most 12 Based. football club I've ever seen in my life they're are, always 12 are they, exactly, are they supposed to be like higher no. has, has, has Patrick Vieira done a bad job given his resources if, if, is he underperforming it's the way it's happened for Vieira. I know, I know, yeah, but if yeah. it, it just average no, you're right. Out, yeah, you're has right. he actually underperformed? No, he's, no. he's, he's bob I, Mate, I don't, think you can, <laughs> I don't think you can go that long without winning and lose and lose and lose. Or scoring. And scoring goals. Like, yeah. I agree yeah, with you yeah. if you've got a plan, but I don't think they had a plan. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, it, it's, that's what it is. It's right, just, yeah. If you go, I'm going to get it, so this guy in, I can understand it, but if you go, we've been a bit shit, let's get the other manager we sacked mm. in. That's fucking shit. Almost if they went full Watford on it and went and got like a random Spanish guy who's managing Sociedad, you'd go, okay, they've clearly seen something in him. You can understand that. But to go Hodgson, you're right. Just think, well, they haven't got any idea what they're doing then, you, clearly. You I feel what? so sorry for Wolfgang Zaha. Like, honestly, uh, he's, he's going, going anyway, so it's sounds. He is, but still. Go. He'll go. Uh, you know why His contract's I'm, going, isn't it? Yeah, he's a free agent. I'm excited, though, to just get more Roy Hodgson memes. I feel like. We do need the a new one. one. It's been a while since we've got a new one. He doesn't move quick enough for a meme nowadays. Oh, the, well, he can't drive. Well, I don't know whether he can't drive, but someone else drove him into the palace, uh, you know, training the other day, and he, he wound his window down and yeah. got interviewed. The fact that that man's 75, I mean, he, he's not allowed to drive, so how he can see a football pitching tactics, I'll yeah, never do. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I, I mean, that's enough. <laughs> you have to, to test, not so. be a football manager. Well, you have to your redo. eyesight means you can't drive. Is he watching the same game as us? No. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. When he was 40, no, that, no, no, but um, I'm excited because I do use that England meme a lot. It's, um, it's, the, it's one of the, it's a, it's a, lead it's an all time meme. It is, meme. It's, it's, it's iconic. A, it's yeah, it's good. Do you think he keeps them up? No. Yeah. No, but they're a bit, can I, he, he doesn't keep them up, but they stay up. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. In spite of him. In spite of he's not because of him. This though. This no, if they stay up, though, he gets the credit. That's the thing. He yeah. walks away. Goes, did me job. Did me job. Someone will he have was to probably, say. I do. I think the same with Everton with Lampard last season. 
I think it was the fans who kept everything. It wasn't fucking Lampard, no. and he got found out sooner. But I feel like that could be the same with Palace. Absolutely. <laughs> the issue you've got is that Vieira got all the hard games. Mm. They played everybody. You know, this I moment. hate that. I hate when that happens. Hodgson's going to come in, and, and it's yeah. going to be. And I think he will keep doing. He's going to take a lot of credit for it. He, he might finish like seventeenth, which is below par. But he goes, kept him up. Done my job. See you later. Give me another call next summer. Maybe he just <laughs> maybe he just waits till back into retirement. Maybe he's like a bear. He just he just hibernates. <laughs> he wakes up for a relegation battle. <laughs> that he put them in the fucking first place by getting rid of all the good players. Oh, yeah. Do you want to stay up? Um... They've got yeah, good enough players, teams. but... I'm they, sure there is. They're, not, they're a bit crap, you know. They, they are, don't concede, though. That's what I will say. You say that, Claude. They've left 30, they have left 38 goals. But okay. Compared to some of the others down yeah. there, that's not horrendous. Only West Ham. West Ham in the, below them are the only team who've conceded the, less. The other thing I will say about so, yeah, them... Leeds. Oh. Well, Leeds have conceded a lot of goals. Yeah, Leeds conceded loads. Bournemouth conceded the most, by the way. Yeah. They have. When you look at it, Southampton and Bournemouth are the two worst sides in the league. Agreed, yeah. And then it's just, can they be slightly better than one of the others? And there's a good chance they, they are slightly better than one of the others. What, else, what, what if Zaha just doesn't give a damn? He's already I don't think he does at the moment. <laughs> I watched them the other day. Yeah, but like, he does, he's so the strange. one with the goals, I reckon, would come from. I mean, Eze, I think, stop quality. At least he's got a bit of magic. Yeah, but, like, it's Zaha. It's always been Zaha. Five of the last... Five of Vieira's last games was without Zaha. He was injured. So, like... I mean, it's always uh, been a problem for Palace that, that hasn't and it? he's going to be like, oh, he's back again, and he's like, can't, I'm going, I'm off in a, in a couple a of months. Where the I'm fish not. becomes too big for the small pond. Mm. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Palace's pond is fucking, <laughs> yeah. it's a drought. It's just getting yeah. smaller. Yeah. And and it's it's not, like, I can't swim around it. It's not John Philippe Mateta. He's not doing <laughs> it any good either. Dear God, Edward, they've gone him as well, don't they? Yeah. They haven't got many goals. It is fair to say, yeah, well, good luck to Rui. And uh, because the Palace fans mm. are having to watch 10 more games or whatever it is of Rui. Right then, moving on to another show that I hosted. I, I'm, this is the only one thing that's left, so don't worry about it. You're not going to get too much more of me, I do promise. It was Jano Insight with Neil Jones, Goal.com journalist right then. So yeah, in The Athletic earlier on Thursday, it was reported that Liverpool are leading the race in terms of domestic suitors for Chelsea's Mason Mount. That came from a report in The Athletic. James Pearce later confirmed it. Again, another Athletic journalist saying Liverpool are definitely interested in Mason Mount. So I asked Neil all about that, all about the links and all about Mason Mount as a player. And here's what he had to say. The hot topic of the day, thanks to an Athletic article that was also tweeted by James Pearce as well as a, it's all about Mason Mount. So the article was originally from Simon Johnson and Raphael Honigstein. Uh, the future of Mason Mount is already in focus well ahead of the summer. Further on goes to Dan say Liverpool lead the list of domestic suitors. The former Chelsea boss Thomas Tuchel, newly installed as Bayern Munich's head coach, is also credited with an interest. Uh, James himself, I'll just switch over very, very quickly, goes on to tweet... Um, uh, very, very, yeah, so Liverpool are definitely interested. Ticks a lot of boxes, age, profile, skill set, homegrown, etc. Chelsea won 70 million, but difficult to see anyone paying that for a player down to his final year of his contract. Um, it does feel like we're about to get to the stage where the Mason Mount stuff, Mount, Mason Mount stuff, Neil Hots up. And yeah, it, it, this is one of those, it's got the, the hallmarks of like one of those Liverpool silence that rumbles on for a while and everyone kind of knows about it. I was, I was referencing like Oxlade-Chamberlain, Shaqiri, where it was weeks and weeks and weeks where it was always, oh yeah, a little bit of interest and, it, and then all of a sudden it just happens. Again, there is other teams interested in Mason Mount, of course there are, but it does feel like there's a lot of smoke from the Liverpool fire, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily compare it to Shaqiri in the sense of buying a player from Stoke which, with a you know a pretty low release clause yeah, yeah, yeah. and a relegated team, but but yeah, you, you were... Um, so like Oxlade-Chamberlain was one, yeah. that I think he had a year left on his contract and it was sort of rumoured... Arsenal sort of got to the point where it was, you've got to sell or you've got yeah. to extend. He didn't want to. I mean, it looks Mount's in a similar position at the moment. There's obviously a lot of question marks around Chelsea in the summer. I think there was a story that earlier this week or, or at the weekend about them. I think it was described as a fire sale in terms of you know have, having to, to get players off the books, which you would imagine is the case given how many they've added to the books in, in you know recent months. Um, and yeah, he, he looks like he looks like one of the expendable ones, doesn't he? There's a few who's yeah, be, be in the in the mix. Pulisic, probably Loftus Cheek players like that. He would probably be, I would imagine, the one that would, I think would would split the the, the fan base the most. I think if you were to sell him, I think there'd be some who say yeah, no problem, and there'd be others who would see it as a bit of a significant step. You know, it's a homegrown player who's come through, obviously become a Champions League winner with them. 
been, you know, one of their more consistent performers and, you know, England, current in England international. To sell him to someone like Liverpool, I think would be seen as a, you know, a major, major call from Chelsea. But you, I don't think they could even countenance the idea of letting him run his contract down. You know, I, I still, I mean, I think I agree with, well, I definitely agree with James. £70 million for a player with one year left on his deal and a player who, you know, isn't viewed by them as one of their, their top earners and one of their top players, clearly. Um, I don't think that's realistic for, for Chelsea. I think it'd be a lot less than that if they were to sell him. I, was, I mean, the Bayern Munich thing's interesting. Obviously, Tuchel taking over there and we know that he was a favourite. I mean, he's a favourite to every manager that's had him, isn't he? You know, Frank Lampard loved him. Gareth Southgate's another one. Um, and, and obviously, Tuchel... Had great success with him, didn't he? You know, he he played a huge part in that Champions League win, set up the winning goal in the final. So that's an interesting one. I saw. I think Sky was sort of saying they don't think Bayern Munich are are interested at this stage. And yeah, know. Christian Falk, I've got to hear by the way on that. Mason Mount was not an issue in talks between Thomas Tuchel and Bayern. The new coach wants to get an overview of the squad first, and midfield midfield in particular is more than adequate. And for further transfers, players will first have to be sold from Bayern. So that's, that's Christian Falk doing it from the Bayern angle in, in, in sport build. So, yeah, it does feel like mm. it's an obvious one, though, isn't it? New manager goes to the yeah. team, player, new manager liked, picked all the time, might be for sale. There's an obvious link to yeah, the yeah. Anyway, yeah. I think I think so. And I, I do think there is. It is often the case, I feel like, that when a manager takes over, that you, there are those, those stories do emerge that, oh, he's going to bring all his sort of his band with him. You know, I think that was the case. Remember when Klopp came to Liverpool, it was always the case, oh, he's going to get Royce, he's going to get Gundogan, he's going to try and get, you know, Hummels and whoever. It's not It's not always the case. Sometimes it is, but I, I think I think more rarely than you'd think managers sort of go back and take all their players. It's not the um, the Harry Redknapp, Nico Cranchar um, <laughs> obsession. But Neil Warnock, Paddy Kenny, yeah, just yeah, around really I've, read, I've listened to a podcast about Paddy Kenny where he sort of says every time Neil Warnock was appointed, I just waited for my phone to ring. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't think it's quite like that with with Mason Mount. But I think what it does tell you, you know, is that he might not be seen as the sort of most glamorous player. Maybe you know, just just in the wider public, I think he's seen as more of a you know, a manager's player or, you know, that kind of player as opposed to one that the fans will really get out for. But he's got a lot of a lot of fans, you know, in, in, within the game. And I know Liverpool in the past have been, you know, really, really sort of impressed by him, you know, at youth level and then coming through. And, you know, he, I remember when Harry Wilson was at Derby on loan, I think that was, what, 18, 19 season. Mason Mount was there as well. I think they shared the house. And, you know, the, the reports that came back on, on Wilson always contained a lot of Mason Mount and he was seen as, you know, oh, those two are the sort of, I think um, Fikayo Tamore was there as well. I think they were seen as like, oh, they're, they're, they're sort of elevating Derby, you know, to becoming player and promotion contenders. So he's got, you know, a lot to offer. You know, as James says, you know, you look at his age, you look at the type of player he is, um, you look at the... The experience that he's he's picked up, the, obviously the fact that he's Premier League proven, the fact that he's homegrown, there's a lot to like about him. And the other thing I would say, you know, I, I know this sort of, it's a hard one to sort of really express properly, but if you look at some of the names that have been linked with Liverpool, and I, you know, you look at Mateus Nunes, for example, no doubt he's got the potential to be a very good player for Liverpool. But I don't think you can say at this stage that Mateus Nunes goes straight into Liverpool's midfield and makes it better or Liverpool's team and makes it better. I think you can say that about Mason Mount. I think if, if, if Liverpool had Mason Mount for the remainder of this season, I think they would have a better chance. You know, you, I think some of the issues that they've had wouldn't wouldn't be as prevalent or wouldn't be you know would be easier to fix. So, I think you would you would put him sort of a level above some of the names that are being linked in terms of what he's proven. But you know, I think there's still. I think Manchester United were linked. Obviously, you've got Bayern Munich. I think there's going to be some competition if Chelsea, if and when Chelsea decide to sell. And it might be difficult to sort of, you know, come to a fair price what the Liverpool pay for Oxlade Chamberlain. That, that felt like a lot at the time. I think that was 35 million. That felt like a lot. You know, if you're talking more than that for, for the player with a year left, then that, that is going to feel like a lot. But I think he would make a difference to, to this squad. And he's young enough and he's, he's good enough to sort of to get even better as well with a, with a, a new club. Do you think also the fact that he can? And I know predominantly he's played midfield for Chelsea, whether the centre mid or like a number ten almost. But he's played left wing for them. He's played right wing for them. So Liverpool are losing Roberto Firmino. So you mentioned uh, when we talked about Luis Diaz earlier, the six attackers becomes it's about to become five this summer. If you can get a lad who can 
Boomerfield and attack. It almost becomes your sixth option. We know Liverpool they fell far of this before. Of you, you back up in one position is also another player, another position. But you, we we keep saying they're already in for midfielders, but they've got a lad who they can who can do a couple of jobs and add that versatility as well. So, for example, if it's Matthias Nunes who can also do a little bit of that, but then you've got Bellingham who's just in midfield. Then you got you got Mount. It's easier to bring all three of them in and go, well, there is game time there for you. Because if you're not going to be centre mid, you might be my left winger that day or my right winger. Because Mount's done it for England. He's played wing for England. He's played centre mid for them as well. So that versatility could be a key thing. And not only in like Liverpool getting them in the team, but also persuading them to come to the Reds that there's enough games there for them. If, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't... I wouldn't be using that to, to Mason Mount. You know, you might be, you can play on the left as well. I mean, if I ever looked at Liverpool, I'd sort of say, well, the last place I'm going to play for Liverpool anytime soon is, yeah, is down the left. <laughs> everyone you know, plays down the left. Everyone, you know, yeah, exactly. You've got you know, yeah. Curtis Jones, Fabio Cavallio. Yeah. You've got you know Harvey Elliott. You know, there's, there's there's a lot of players that you don't they can play there, but you don't want to see them there because you, you obviously got Diaz, you've got Gakpo, you've got Jota, Darwin. So yeah, maybe maybe not that, but yeah, I think it, the more. The more versatility he's got, it gives you options, doesn't it? You know, if you if you need to, if if you get an injury crisis, if you get a position where you think, you know what, unexpectedly this player has actually nailed down that sort of left side of place, but we've got Mason Mount there that we've paid fifty million pounds for. Oh yeah, we can we can get him in here. I think I think the style of player is more more sort of appealing or, or more what Liverpool should be looking at you know in terms of he's an energetic player, he's a good presser, he, he's someone who's tactically aware, he takes up the right positions. Good against the ball, good on the ball, and you know at his best creates and scores goals, doesn't he? From from you know whether it's in the attacking line or, or one further back. So I think I think it's more about the type of player that he is and the sort of the the, the attributes and the skill set that he can bring, as opposed to sort of necessarily thinking, well, where do you fit him in? I, I think it's quite clear he, he would be an addition for you know one of the wide number eight roles, not wide number eight, the, you know the the shuttling number eight roles, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the age thing's important as well, because we have mentioned this a lot of times, Liverpool got a lot of young players and a lot yeah. of older players getting lads who, and James says this before, you know, when he says Liverpool are definitely interested and he takes a lot of boxes, the first one he mentions is his age. Yeah. He is of a good age where he is like, he's doing, and he's only relatively young, but he's he's in his peak, he's in the middle of his career where we have he's not inexperienced like an Elitich, an, an, an Elitich, an Elliot and a Bicetta, he's not Jordan Henderson, James Milner coming into the latter 30s, Thiago, so he is, he's that, he is basically what Cater and Oxley Chamberlain should be, prime, in the middle of the careers, and are good to go because Liverpool are lacking that in that centre midfield area. Yeah, well, that that's the they were the players when Liverpool, the last time Liverpool changed their midfield was they bought players of this age, didn't they? They bought Cater and Fabinho yeah. uh, and Oxley Chamberlain to to a certain degree as well. You know, t- twenty four to twenty six. Um, they have a bit of a donut sort of situation in that area, don't they? they have a few young players, you know, up to sort of twenty two and Curtis Jones, Elliot, and then by Chetich, obviously, and then they have. Like you say, the older ones, twenty nine and above, Fabinho, Henderson, Milner, Thiago. So yeah, it has. Um, I think the age thing is, and I suppose as well, it, it justifies the spend, doesn't it? You know, if you if you're if you think it's a high price for a player with a year left on his contract, well, you, you add five years onto his contract and he's twenty four. You think, well, I, you know, he's 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 retaining value then, isn't he? You know, regardless, and he's got another move in him potentially. If you if if you need to offload him, you know, you still yeah. have some value. You're not sort of you know, you're not buying a player who this is his last contract or his last sort of you know significant transfer fee. So yeah, it gives you it gives you an element of security as well there. And I think as well, if you look, I know he, I know he was injured for this current international break, and he, I think he's had a few problems. But he's played a lot of games, hasn't he? For the, for one so young, he's played certainly over the last three or four years. You know, he's been a, a pretty much you know very consistent. He's been on the field, and I think that that also play, plays uh, you know a part into his um, in, into his appeal that he's not someone who you know Oxley Chamberlain's a bit different, wasn't he? I think there was there were doubts over his injury record. You know, I don't think there's too much over Mount at this moment in yeah, time. Yeah, he's played 192 games for Chelsea, 44 for Derby before that. He was on loan at Fitzgerald before that, and played 39. Yeah. So already in his young career, he's played, he has played a lot of footy. Yeah, he's also I, been capped. And England, um, of course, yeah. yeah, playing 36 caps for England, so 128 Premier League games, 27 goals, 24 assists. It is the type of player where the numbers start making sense. He is a bit, he, again, he's a bit unfashionable, and there's a, and I, I think a lot, the fact that he's like Chelsea's 
not whipping boy per se, but he's the one who a lot of the fans get frustrated that that can seep into your mindset sometimes. Well, they don't even like him, but Liverpool have had, had success before of going buying domestic players and them getting better at Liverpool. We've seen that happen plenty of times. Yeah, I think as well, you see it a little bit at Liverpool, don't you? You know, the one that gets the, the grief is the one that's always there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's obviously been, he was there, he was seen as Frank Lampard's sort of pet, wasn't he? You know, obviously because of the derby thing and then and then he you know he, he played very regularly under him and, and also you're right the style of player he is it's maybe I wouldn't say it's harder to appreciate but it's not as thrillingly spectacular as you know Marcus Rashford you know roasting someone on the outside and going you know lightning pace or shooting from you know sort of all angles and scoring 30 goals a season he's not he's not that obviously sort of spectacular but you know I don't think you could <laughs> he when he's played against Liverpool largely, I don't maybe not most recently, but when he's played against Liverpool largely, I think you've you've seen him as a a, da- a really dangerous opponent. I, I I mean, if he he had a few chances didn't he, in the in the uh, the Carabao Cup final last season, I think he missed. He should have taken at least one of them. But he always feels like a threat on the pitch. You always feel like, oh, you know, like if you don't if you don't lock him down, you know, he he can he can hurt yeah. And that's that sort of thing I think sticks with. With, with clubs and with scouts and with managers that you know when when you hear a player might be available you think, really like you know like we, we've had trouble with him in the past you know and he, he also plays a little bit like our, our sort of style so yeah I think that it, it's not a surprise to see Liverpool linked the question is obviously whether Chelsea you know will be willing to change the situation by putting a big contract on the table or by you know if other clubs come to the come to the um, the party and start offering you know transfer fees and, and and contract out there as well, so there's still still some twists, but it does look like Liverpool are certainly going to be looking in the summer to to get something done. Yeah, last one on Mountain before we move on. The seventy million thing is obviously nonsense because of course Chelsea are looking for seventy million. Good luck with getting seventy million for the lad in the last year of his contract, who is pretty much getting pushed out the door at the moment with the time. That that's the thing here when. It's transfer fees now. It's hard to value a yeah. player, isn't it? Because he's English, which we know adds a tax on. Liverpool need English players and homegrown players. You're selling to a rival, so you probably want a bit more money than anyway. But he is, it is the last year of his contract kind of thing. It almost feels like whoever buys him has got a really strong position to buy him from because you, you mentioned before, Chelsea aren't going to let him go for nothing. So there's, mm. you know, but so there's got to be a fee where a deal's done. They're not going to get 70, but you're probably looking at that 50-ish maybe, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's difficult, isn't it? I think there's a few players that have sort of broken the mould a little bit. I mean, I, I thought Liverpool got quite a low fee for Sadio Mane last last season. I know he was older, but and you could argue, you know, given the, the way his season's gone, that actually Liverpool, you know, did Liverpool sort of see something coming? I, I don't, I don't personally buy that. But you know, Liverpool got what was it thirty million for for Sadio Mane? I think Bayern got something similar for for obviously for Thiago with with one year left. So you know. They, it does feel like if you were talking about sort of fifty million for, for Mount, I know he's I know he's significantly younger, and for the reasons I, I discussed obviously earlier, you know there is an appeal in terms of resale value, and and that obviously comes in for the selling club as well. Well, hang on, you're going to get a, you know a player in the peak of his career, you yeah. know you, you're going to have to pay for that. But I think it, I think you're right. I think it is difficult to sort of to, to judge where transfer fees are because the Premier League as well in particular it's so distorted obviously you know around the world you know I think that story that we're talking about in the Athletic mentions Juventus as being a team that would like to sign I mean you know it's hard to see it. an Italian club sort of coming up and matching the Premier League in terms of you know it was a straight fight it, it doesn't feel like there's many clubs around Europe that could sort of really step up besides you know the elite two or three Um so yeah, I think it is difficult. I think it may, you know, Chelsea's seventy million thing potentially is just it's a negotiating tactic, obviously, isn't it? And it's maybe to smoke out a few, and maybe they'd love nothing more than to see Liverpool, and Manchester United going hell for hell for leather, you know, trying to trying to go and get this player. But I, I, yeah, it's it would be hard to look past sort of forty five, fifty million for for a player like that with one year left. That I, I think you you're not really. It wouldn't be Liverpool's sort of. Style. It wouldn't be many club style really to just go. Yeah, whatever you want. Let's have it. I think there'll be, I think there'll be um, a significant reduction in that that kind of figure. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right then, next up, it's Chris Pajak, it's Josh Williams, and it is The Deep Dive. The lads do an amazing show. Just to let you know, by the way, one of the shows is always available for free on YouTube, so if you want to go and check that one out as well, the lads did a little Manchester City preview. That is there for you. But if you want to check out the Red Men Plus version of the show, the lads had a good look at the top four race, who Liverpool have got left to play, who Spurs and Newcastle and Brighton and even Man United, what they've got left in terms of fixtures, how many points it might take to come into the top four, and all that kind of wonderful stuff. Really, really digging deep into the stats, the numbers of the history, what's left to play, etc., etc., etc. You guys are going to love it. Check out this week's clip from the deep dive. Hello, and welcome to the deep dive. It is the race for the top four, and you know what? I've done this title before <laughs> years ago, and it, and I've done a stat show on this, and and that really makes me sad because I've not had to do it for a little while, Josh. Um, we're going to start off. You know, we've got a couple of graphics prepared quite a little bit of research on this one to be honest with you it took me yeah. quite a little bit of time like it's there's no easy way of finding out who finished uh, f- how many points were needed for fourth in the table other than checking all the fucking league tables um, <laughs> there's, there's just no other way of finding it um, so first off I think I need to just tell you why I've used what I've used um, so um, what I've created first is this points needed for top four and you'll notice, first of all, down here, that I've started in 95, 96. Now, the reason I've started in 95, 96 is probably pretty obvious for everybody, Josh. It's that that's when it went to a 38-game league season as opposed to a 42-game league season. I just thought, sack off the early years. We've got a good enough data set there. Uh, and then I went through, and what's the thing you do? Well, you check what fourth place got. So I checked what fourth place got. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, sound. And then I had this sort of revelation uh, that actually what fourth place got to relevant in this it's what fifth place got is what you need <laughs> so then and I only noticed that believe it or not when I got through from 95, 96 to 2007, 2008 when Liverpool finished with 76 points and Everton finished with 65 points and I thought you know what Liverpool only needed 66 points to finish in fourth there so kind of what I've done is I've gone one more point than fifth right, place. Yeah, okay. Now there is times during the course of that where fourth and fifth finished on the same points and, and goal difference was the thing. I made it easy. I made myself I gave myself one point more than fifth place. That's what you needed. I then plotted that into a friggin' Excel sheet and then made a scatter plot, which is what is the graphic that's in front of you right now. Um, so every single season, I've jotted down the points that you're going to need. And then I've created the trends line to give you this sort of average through the years. And Josh, the average is going up. It's get, You need more and more points to finish in fourth place. And the average right now is round about 70 points. Why do you think that the average is going up? I think first of all, it's generally a good thing, um, because I think around the time that you started doing this, um, well, not around the time you started doing it, but around these times. It did take me a while, but I didn't start <laughs> in nineteen ninety five, ninety six. Around them times, I think there was a lot more of a gap essentially, and he was a lot more of an established top four, wasn't he? In terms of like Liverpool, Chelsea at one point, Arsenal, and Man United. Um, 
But as money's come into the league and that, and I think teams generally like tenth and ninth and things like that, I've just got a lot more stronger, and the league is now a lot more competitive. So the fight for the title is just as difficult as the fight for fourth. Um, you've got even like this year, you've got like Brighton amongst it, which you just we haven't seen previous years. So rather than being two sides going for fourth, um, it's now like four or five, six at times. So um, I think generally the league's getting better, and I suppose it makes it more tricky for the likes of Liverpool, who haven't had to do this for a few years. As you say, well, it, it does, and you know what we're talking about right now is we're talking about realistically probably a fourteen fight for fourth. Mm. I'll be honest with you, I've left Manchester United out of this. I'm not a hundred percent sure. They are out of it, Josh. And I'm going to move on to the next graphic now for, for the Premier League table for everybody. And you can see right now that we've focused in on Tottenham on 49 points. But, and I know we're on the same amount of games played as Manchester United, Liverpool and Manchester United, there's only an eight-point gap between Liverpool and Manchester United right now. And I think the thing with this is... Manchester United have got two big-ass games against Sevilla in the Europa League and they've got a big-ass game against Brighton in the FA Cup semi-final as well. Mm. Both of those are obviously the Sevilla ones a semi-final for the Europa League as well. And that could have an impact on the race for top four. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you, if you look at the goal difference, right, I think that's a big telltale sign yeah. that Man United is simply not that great. I know we beat them 7-0, so we've probably not done them any favours. Was it 7 Seven, yeah. We we haven't done them any favours with that. But I think all season they've been roughly around that. And if you look at their goals scored as well, they've only scored 41. Um, Liverpool are on 47, even Brighton are on 46. And I don't know if you've ever seen, have you ever heard the, the saying that essentially... The goal difference tables the table. Kind of, yeah, but usually the uh, each goal equates to one point. Have you heard that one? No, I've not. Yeah, if, if you look at it, like, say, for example, if we go to last season. So we should have 47 points. Yeah, I mean, give or take, and, and there is sometimes some major exceptions, but say, for example, last season, Liverpool scored 94 goals and got 92 points. Chelsea scored 76 goals, got 74 points. Uh, Spurs scored 69 goals, got 71 points. So generally, however many you score, Tends to be how, however many points, uh, however many points you end up with, give or take. Again, you know, sometimes there's like a ridiculous defence in there that just changes the landscape completely. But um, if you look at the goal difference, as I said, United's goal difference suggests that like okay, there's a bit of a gap there, but they are not like put it this way, they're closer to our group there than City and Arsenal. Me, and I think that's it, isn't it? The one that I've always sort of put a little bit into is the, is the other way around the goal difference. Being mm. the best goal difference normally wins the league, second, yeah. third. And there are obviously occasions every single season where that's kind of out. But as a general trend, that's kind of how it goes, top to bottom. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's always quite an interesting one to look at as well. So again, my theory, your theory that we both subscribe to, they both say Manchester United are not in the correct place in this league table. Yeah. Um, and there are outlying results. Obviously, Liverpool battering them 7-0 <laughs> uh, is all we're going to do that. Um, when you look at the points differential to Tottenham Hotspur, we are now seven points um, behind Tottenham Hotspur with two games in hand. Newcastle uh, are obviously... Five points ahead of us, they could be a problem to overhaul them. Uh, it actually might be easier to overhaul Tottenham with our games in hand than Newcastle. Yeah. They had a little bit of a wobble, didn't they? You just look well, at the recent well, form just before the international break. Well, one thing I was going to say again, if we look at goals, they've, they've scored the fewest out of any of us, mm. any, any in the top seven. They're still in the 30s, 39 goals they've got so far. Best again, the the, yeah, the big difference is the defence. Their defence is better than Arsenal's at the top of the league, but. There's a lot of pressure on them in that sense because if they start leaking the odd one or two goals and they haven't got the attack to bail them out like Liverpool have potentially, mm -hmm. uh, that could be a problem. So I, I know what you're saying, but I think Newcastle, I mean, they've got the best goal difference as well, to be fair, soon. But again, it's it's very defensive. It's very, we keep clean sheets and go from there. And it might continue, but as the pressure ramps up, maybe the mistakes start to creep in. And if, if they're like fourth with five games to go, it's a lot of pressure for the likes of, I don't know, Fabian Schaar and um, 
Whoever else is playing in the back four and Sven Botman and players like that. Okay, well, we're going to move on there because I think you're absolutely spot on there to point that out. We're going to look at the fixtures now. A little bit of depth and detail on this one of of all the big contenders for the top four. We've got Liverpool, we've got Tottenham Hotspur, we've got Newcastle, we've got Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, I've highlighted on this graphic, as you can tell, the big games. So the games who uh, uh, against the teams who are currently the incumbent in the top six in the, in the Premier League. So mm. uh, top seven, I should say, because Liverpool, Manchester United, uh, sorry, Arsenal, Man City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Tottenham, Newcastle and Brighton. If you play in one of them teams, you've got it highlighted with that sort of green band. First thing that jumps out at you on this graphic, just what is it? Um, to be honest, it's that... Brighton and Newcastle have one extra big game <laughs> uh, than, than Spurs and Liverpool do. Um, second is that Liverpool have a nice running in terms of big games. Obviously, our last five games are teams that are relatively mid-table. Some of them competing at the bottom of the league. Southampton easily could be relegated by them. Um, what about you? That's exactly the same. Put it together and I got a little bit excited. I was like, OK, right. Yes, Liverpool have got this, but then the the, the converse thought is, <laughs> shit, look at the start. Yeah, Manchester yeah. City, Chelsea and Arsenal. Yeah. And these are the three games that we really need to focus in on. Now, we've just done earlier on in the show, Liverpool probably need to get to 70, 71 points yeah. to be able to get ahead of Tottenham. Now, I'm just going to go back a page on here. Currently... Tottenham Hotspur on 49 points. Tottenham Hotspur essentially need to get to 72, I think, to wrap up top four. Mm. So they need 23 points from 10 games, maybe 22 points from 10 games, something like that. That now starts to look quite achievable for Tottenham when you look at their fixtures. It's the overtaking of those teams that is the difficulty, isn't it? I think, especially when Liverpool are averaging about 1.6 points per game this season. Yeah, well, I'm just checking that actually. What you've just said there, Spurs have. You said they've got to have 23 points over the next 10 games. Well, that's 2.3 points a game. Yeah. And City aren't even averaging that this season. That's quite That's quite lofty in terms of uh, expectations. What's the, Tottenham's? Tottenham's is 1.75. What's ours? 1.62. That's the difficulty. You've yeah. got to you've got to get to one point nine two for Liverpool for Tottenham to stay the same. Yeah, the thing is though, I would expect Liverpool to be better for the rest of the season simply because players are back, okay. and I feel like we're through our worst period. Spurs have just lost Conte. Uh, whether that'll be a positive or a negative is difficult to tell, really. But I don't really feel like Spurs have been perform beneath their usual selves. Cheers to Chris and Josh for that one. Finally this week then we've got Steve Plunkett and Steve McInerney, Manchester City fan. It's time for the Oppo preview. Liverpool are back in action. Early kickoff on Saturday. That's one of the toughest games on the schedule. It's Liverpool travelling to the Etihad to play Manchester City to catch up with everything that's going on down at City. Like I say, Steve spoke to Steve McInerney for this week's opposition preview. So 17 days for us Reds without a game to, to look to look upon. We probably couldn't have picked the worst fixture to, to start our <laughs> season with again. Um, away at Manchester City, often a, a good place for us, but often a dangerous place for us. How are you doing, Steve? You well? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm just looking forward to football being back and real football. You know, I'm not really one of baseball attention to international stuff, so this should be fun, mate. This should be fun, hopefully. Ah, absolutely. I mean, these two guys have, have really set the bar ridiculously high across sort of the last five years. Yeah. I think is it fair to say, Steve, that we inspire you and you inspire us? Um, yeah, yeah. As much as what City achieved, they would definitely. And I've always been pretty honest about this. They definitely needed that push. You know, um, you like the points totals would not be as high for either team if the other team didn't exist. I think they've they've dragged each other along, and I think that's relatively normal. And um, without a doubt, like, uh, yeah, the, the points totals just wouldn't wouldn't have happened because you had to be perfect because perfection was chasing us. That's that's a really good sort of segue into what I wanted to speak about. Obviously, we've we've seen many rivalries throughout. The Premier League's history, throughout first division history, shall we say? Let's yeah. go back and not pretend that football started with the inventor Sky Sports. Um, you know, Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool, Manchester United, Liverpool, Everton, Arsenal, Chelsea. Chelsea came into it. These two guys have taken this to a level that none of those previous uh, rivalries could have could have aspired to. Is that is that? Would, would you agree with that? I, I yeah, I believe that. I, to be honest, I'm one of those people who believes that football gets better every ten years. I think mean, it does. I think it has to because um, 
well, uh, the increase in sports science and the, the, the professionalism these days and the margins for error. It, there's so much analysis um, that footballers are just I think better by by sheer dedication and just by the, the standards improving. And I do think football has been getting better. And I do think um, what teams are capable of, I, I do think City, that City's best side, Liverpool's best side would beat all those other teams. I, I honestly really believe that in a one-off game that's possible. And I think the quality of the rivalry um, was in terms of the football, it's just stupid. It's like genuinely stupid. And I always personally feel the best game I've ever witnessed live as a, as a, as a football fan in terms of quality. Uh, we won it, but it was the two-one victory back in against you guys um, at the Etihad um, when Sane uh, scored stones off the line. That game, the intensity of that game, but also the quality. Usually, when you get games that are really intense, mm. they also they tend to lack a little bit of um, maybe quality. So everyone's like, "Oh, it was really intense, really fun game with that." But it's usually at the expense of organisation. But no, both of those teams that day were fucking brilliant. You know, like the football was absolutely immense. I mean, your goal it was after about 30 passes, wasn't it? I, what I remember. Yeah, I think it was and then, more like, like 45. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like football was just immense in Liverpool and I'm genuinely not trying to kiss Liverpool fans' ass because I'm on your channel. It's just true. Like the football yeah. that day was really, really good and it was two absolute juggernauts at their very best going blow to blow and, you know, and obviously I'm lucky that City came out on top. By the way, that, so, yeah, sheer quality. It's just the rivalry is up there. I know it's a very modern one and it's a very new one, but, you know, they all have to start somewhere. I think it's it's really obvious. Yeah, right. And it's a very different rivalry. It's more rivalry on the pitch. I mean, no disrespect to Manchester City, but Everton and Manchester United currently probably have a higher yeah, degree of fan rivalry than we do with Manchester City, but but this is purely a football. They take time, rivalry. don't they? They take yeah. time, and if this, if this goes on, and like if City and Liverpool are still challenging from 10, 15 years' time, there's going to be generations of kids who've grown up who've only known really these two going head to head, and at that point, it's impossible for them not to care because it's just it becomes part of your footballing identity. So, I mean, ultimately. I sort of don't care about, you know, what's a rivalry and what isn't. Um, like, it's one of those things where it's just, you know, there's, there's no denying that the, the players look at each other, the managers look at each other, and they're the team that they want to beat. 100%. So in terms of Manchester City's season so far, I think I'll start it. We'll go back to the summer. Both teams heavily invested in a number nine. Um, both been successful in their own right, although Darwin Nunes has copped a lot of attention in terms of missed chances, but his numbers are still very good and the threat he offers is still really, really useful to Liverpool Football Club. And obviously you've got Erling Haaland who's just scoring goals for fun. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, he's like a like a Terminator, isn't he? He plays football. Yeah, stupid footballer. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Um, I, I suggested at the start of the season that because of the way Haaland plays, it would make City slightly more one-dimensional, i.e. you have to put the ball in certain areas for Haaland to hurt you. Whereas previously, with like three or four number tens on the pitch, lots of movement, lots of angles, you know that's that's Guardiola's football and mantra, isn't it? Creating angles and and opportunities through getting to the yeah. byline and cutting balls back in. Was there an adaption period where Manchester City perhaps suffered a little bit in terms of dominating games and creating chances because he couldn't find a way to get the best out of Haaland? Um, initially, no, he, he was creating loads of chances and scoring loads of goals. I mean, to be honest, my I think the, the problem City had it came from the players who left as opposed to the players who joined. That's how I've always felt. I mean, not many people realize that Jesus became a winger for Man City and was a very good one as well. Um, Ryan Sterling was just immense, you know, pace, um, directness, a little bit of chaos. And I felt like City, when we lost those two, and then also the 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 quality and in the end experience of Zinchenko, we lost a lot out wide, you know, and yeah. it felt like we didn't really have the solution for that. And what we'd gone back to is we've got all these the wingers that are basically are all about control, you know, the Guardiola style wingers, Mares, Grealish, even Foden to an extent, where to me, I, I look back and go, God, you know what? I sort of wish we had Jesus, who was very willing to put on a shift from the right and put a cross in. Or we had Sterling, he would just... Sterling's one of those like high percentage players where he'll just run at people constantly, constantly, constantly. Yeah. And sometimes it'll you know bobble off him, he'll go out for a corner. But you know, the one in three times, he'll get past two or three people and cause absolute chaos. And that's why he was so successful for us. And City have sort of lacked that. You know, not, I'm not going to you know fucking claim pity and all that kind of stuff, but Grealish and Mahrez and... Foden sort of can do it every now and then, but they're not really those kind of players. And to me, I always think we wouldn't be having the conversation about Haaland if we just had the wingers that we used to have. Yeah. So I always felt like it was more of a case of City went to a style which was 
basically, we lost so many creators out wide that it all mm. came on Kevin De Bruyne in terms yeah. of being the guy just to get the ball and pass. So I we obviously have to adapt to any player that good, but we started off so great scoring so many goals and he was on about, you know, he was like 1.5 times goals than his games at one point, you know, and yeah. there's no issue when we were 6-1 six, six up against United at one point, you know, and I always think it was a relatively... I don't know. I think it's it's one of those things where you're like to blame Harlan when he's clearly done his job. You know, it felt a bit like it's not really his fault. It's everyone else. And I think there's too many changes to the system and all that kind of stuff. But either way, the quality players, you adapt to them eventually because you have to. And um, I think right now City finally um, have settled on a system, which I don't think is actually because of Harlan, but we're setting on a system that's sort of working for you. Now, Guardiola has changed it again. And it's more to do with what we've got out wide than it has mm-hmm. to do with Harlan in the middle. Cool. I, I alluded to it at the start of the, the stream, the start of the show, that after 17 days, this probably wouldn't be the fixture that Liverpool would choose. I think what Liverpool would choose is to play a team that are going to come out and play. So if yeah. you look at the results this season, when Liverpool have won games, United, uh, Manchester and yourselves, two games I'm speaking about in particular, both of those teams came out, set their stall out to play football. You ended up with Rodri at Anfield trying to gained some success down the right-hand side because it wasn't working as a in the orthodox sixth position. He sort of drifted that way quite a lot during the game to try and help with the threat and also to try and get a bit of a stranglehold in the game for City. What's the thoughts in the City fan base about playing a Liverpool side that quite seriously is in the last chance saloon for, for any hope of European, I'm going to say European, I mean Champions League football? Um, there's probably an easier game City could have had coming back to this. Um, look, I don't. I hate playing Liverpool. I mean, I, I think in general, you guys are pretty much always up for it against us um, for obvious reasons. Everything we touched on at the start of the video, and and that um, that Liverpool game where you beat us one 0 was sort of the point where things twisted a little bit and started going wrong for a month or two. I would say because um, Pep did his usual Pep thing of changing the system, and you know we sort sort essentially had like Foden and Cancelo as wing backs, and like it was. We went through at the back, and then, as you said, we had everyone just in different positions, and it felt weird. You know, it was it was a strange. Pep has this tendency, as much as I love him, to try and accommodate the opposition, as opposed to like I think personally, he should be more where Man City accommodate yeah. us. You know, I think that in general, if you've got the quality, you always make people adapt to you. And I think he went a bit too. I don't know. He he didn't work that day, and and it was frustrating because after that, it, it seemed to spark a little bit of um. Uh, a little bit of chaos inside Pep said, and he started to change up a little bit. And so, as I don't, I never like playing Liverpool. I just hate it. I always presume you could win, lose seven in a row, but then you'd be up for it against us, and you'd give us a game. And and it's just, um, and it's understandable why as well, you know, because it's been such a great rivalry, and this game means so much to so many of your players, and like it does for ours. And this is enough to get it going for you. Um, ultimately. I mean, I've got to trust our form at the moment, which has turned around and been good. And I know yours is so up and down, isn't it? Like Liverpool, like yeah. one minute brilliant, one minute, you know, 7 0 and losing 1 0 or whatever. It's just, I don't know. How do you feel? Are you like, do you feel the same way I do in terms of you'll be up for this game or are you a bit? Yeah, I do. I do. We've got three horrible games in eight days. It starts with yourself, then we go away to Chelsea, and then we finish the three games at home to Arsenal uh, within eight days. That will define what happens in our season. Yeah. We realistically need five to six points from those three fixtures, which is a big ask. There are Steve's everywhere. Thanks to Steve. Thanks to Steve. And this is Steve saying thanks to Steve and Steve. There's Stevens everywhere. It's absolutely fine. We'll crack on with it. So, yeah, that is this week's episode of Redmen Weekly. Hope you enjoyed it. Like I say, if you want those shows in full, as well as all of our other amazing content, such as Redmen Uncensored, the final word, instant match reaction, which will all be coming next week as Liverpool do finally get back onto the field redmenplus.com sign up as a yearly club captain use the code weekly and you'll get 50% off hope to see you over there and if not I'll see you next week on Redmen Weekly see you later